Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Boar's Head invites you to enlighten your senses. Introducing Boar's Head Ichiban Teriyaki-style chicken. Inspired by Japanese master chefs, our signature teriyaki glaze is crafted with garlic, ginger, and a hint of brown sugar. Then paired with our tender, slow-roasted chicken breast for a flavor that's sweet, savory, remarkably bold. Boar's Head Ichiban Teriyaki-style chicken. The bold flavor of Japan. Now at the deli. Compromise elsewhere. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. I know, I know, this doesn't sound anything like Anna, but don't freak out. My name is Chris Perez, a.k.a. the HLHS Dad, and I'm sitting in today while Anna is enjoying some much-needed vacation time. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about compassion fatigue, silent enemy, soul sickness. Today's show features the one and only Daniel Miles. Let me introduce you to him. Daniel Miles is a board-certified chaplain and the assistant director of spiritual education at Carolina's Medical Center. He is an ordained minister endorsed by the Alliance of Baptists. He received his Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and Religious Studies from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and his Master's of Divinity from Wake Forest University Divinity School. He lives in Charlotte with his spouse and five-year-old daughter. He plays guitar, collects vintage vinyl records, and loves craft beer. Welcome to Heart to Heart, Daniel. Thanks, Chris. It's, it's, uh, It's great to be here. Looking forward to having a conversation with you. Good. Well, let's take a moment and uh, just start jumping into a few questions. So, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about what compassion fatigue is? Yeah, sure can. Um, we'd be glad to. Uh, you know, when I um, when I explain this to people, I really, uh, I kind of jokingly say that you know it's it's right there in the name. It literally is when your compassion gets fatigued. Um, the way that I, I, I characterize it is if you're working out. Uh, if you're, you know, training for a marathon or lifting a lot of weights, um, the more you use your muscles, they fatigue, they get tired. And compassion works the same way. The more that we uh, use and expend our compassion for other people, um, it, it gets fatigued. Uh, and so, I mean, I think people have tended to use phrases like burnout um, when, when when talking about compassion fatigue. But it really is where um, our 
emotional response to people who are suffering, people who are having a hard time, people who are hurting or in pain, when our compassion and emotional response to those people gets exhausted and we're not able to, to be compassionate in the way we normally are. This is what we talk about as compassion fatigue. Great. And this definitely seems like something that can apply to people like medical professionals. You know, but why is knowing about something like compassion fatigue important for parents of kids with congenital heart defects? Compassion fatigue can happen to anyone who is using a lot of their compassion to care for people in need. So, of course, this is something that we take very seriously um, in a healthcare setting with medical professions. But really anybody who spends a good portion of their time caring for other people are prone to this. There's lots of other professions filled with um, people who typically help, uh, social workers, counselors, um, EMS responders, but it doesn't even have to be about your profession. So if a large portion of your life, time, and energy is spent caring for someone who requires a lot of care, you're prone to compassion fatigue. So certainly parents, parents of any kids, really, are probably prone to compassion fatigue, but particularly when a child has... Um, you know, more concerns, more medical issues, definitely when, you know, any kind of health concern becomes much more overwhelming or requires a lot more energy. And if it's constant, if this is something that's requiring daily maintenance, daily work, uh, kind of above and beyond what most parents would have expected, this takes a lot out of you. So, you know, parents who are really spending a lot of time trying to provide a high level of particular care to children with heart defects, yeah, it wouldn't be surprising to me at all. The compassion fatigue would be something that would creep up just in terms of, you know, parents who, of course, love their children, wear themselves out providing, you know, round-the-clock constant care. Um, I mean, it, it would make all kinds of sense that, you know, parents of kids with congenital heart defects would have, um, would have a high uh, occurrence of compassion fatigue. Yeah, and I, I would agree uh, with that. Um, in my own personal experience, I remember having to come back to work um, after my son's first open-heart surgery, after my PTO ran out. Um, I wasn't ready to come back to work. I wasn't necessarily happy to come back to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember for the first couple of days just being incredibly crabby with everyone, and I didn't want to hear about anyone's problems. I didn't want to hear about somebody didn't sleep well last night because um, I was about ready to jump on them every time they mentioned it. Yeah, that seems completely normal and reasonable. And that, I think that's a, that's one of the reasons we really look out for folks with compassion fatigue is it's not it's not just about one area of your life. It's about kind of all areas of your life. So if things are really hard at work, you go home and you have that much less to give to your family. When you've had a really rough night, you know, or if you've spent, you know, if you've been in the hospital with your kid, stressing and worrying and staying up late and losing sleep, and then you have to go back to work, I mean, all of these things feed together, and unfortunately, compassion fatigue can kind of turn into sort of a sort of a spiraling loop, um, and getting you know feeling like you don't have what you need in one place of your life, which then means you don't have what you need in some other place in your life, and it can just, I mean, it can get it can get pretty bad fast. So it seems all kinds of normal that you would have experienced that. That it's sort of like I don't feel like putting up with other people's crap today. I've I've had all this stuff going on in my family, and I'm wore out. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that's a challenge that so many people face. So what are some symptoms to look out for when it comes to compassion fatigue? 
Great question. I, I mean, one symptom is exactly like your names, where you just kind of don't care. Um, I, I mean, that's, that's, I know that's not a very clinical description of a symptom, but, you know, when you find yourself experiencing more apathy um, than you're used to experiencing in places of your life that you normally have engagement around, so any kind of apathetic attitude, you know, there's a lot of physical symptoms just in terms of, you know, change, you're cha- changing a pattern of sleep. Uh, for some people, it means feeling like they're not ever getting enough sleep. And I know for me, that's typically what happens is that, I, you know, I'm I'm up late, I'm up early, uh, you know, I don't sleep as well as I'd like. So feeling like you're losing a lot of sleep. For, for other folks, it might be that they're, you know, they're sleeping a lot more than usual if you have the luxury of the time to do that. You know, change in appetite, change in your patterns of exercise or regular activity, losing interest in the things that you normally enjoy, whether that's things that you enjoy about your work life, things that you enjoy about home life, hobbies that you have, um, finding that you don't really have the energy to engage in those things, even when you have the time. That's a, that's a good symptom of that. I know one that I, um, and by good, I mean obvious, not <laughs> not enjoyable, but one that I often feel is um, just a feeling of incompetence, uh, that when I find myself in a place of compassion fatigue, I just feel like I don't know what I'm doing and I'm no good. Uh, I'm no good at my job. I'm no good at being a father. I, you know, that's that's a, a bad place that I can get stuck into when I feel compassion fatigued. Complaining a lot. This is another one that I think we often feel from, from our coworkers or people around us that think there's always something to complain about, a persistent negative attitude. Um, these are kind of uh, some some of the really common symptoms um, to, that that all of us experience at one point or another. So I think it's good for people to kind of learn to look out for. Gosh, am I? You know, it's one thing to have a bad day, and I'm just kind of in a bad mood because I got off on the wrong side of the bed today. But if this has kind of become the theme uh, for the last you know week or two or three, um, I might need to take a look to see if there's something I can do to help with my compassion fatigue. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Daniel, for sharing that information with us. Uh, Now it's time to cut to a commercial break, but don't leave yet. Coming up, we're going to continue talking with Daniel about compassion fatigue. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Hey, welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. This is Chris Perez filling in for Anna. So today's show, Compassion Fatigue, Silent Enemy, Soul Sickness, features Daniel Miles, Assistant Director of Spiritual Education at Carolina's Medical Center. And we just finished learning about the definition of compassion fatigue, including symptoms to look out for, and why it's so important for those in the CHD community to know about it. And so let's continue um, learning some more. Uh, So Daniel, now that we know what compassion fatigue is, uh, is there something we can do to, to prevent it? Yeah. I mean, I think like kind of go back to my analogy about, you know, like muscle fatigue. You know, it's really important if we do a lot of exercising or physical training, it's really important to rest. So, you know, if any any listeners have trained for marathons and you know you have a pretty rigorous schedule of how you're 
you know, you're doing your running and your conditioning, but you also have to build in places for your body to recover. And so that's, I think, the most common easy way to talk about prevention of compassion fatigue is is doing everything that we can to build in some moments of rest. I definitely know every time I say that to people, wherever I give these kind of presentations, that it's really easy for me to say that. Um, and I know because it's true in my own life that it's hard to actually do that. It's hard to build in time to rest. And so I think that it really, I think it really behooves anybody who's doing a lot of work, caring for someone who needs a high level of care, to find little moments of respite. And that can be, you know, that could be seeing if you can find somebody else to step in for a little bit. So you can take a break, go somewhere, you know, find some activity that you enjoy. But and I, and like I said, I. I know that that can be hard and takes, you know, a lot of work to try to schedule that in. That's kind of a practical thing, and what that looks like for everybody is different. I know for me, um, it means that I have to kind of eke out little moments um, throughout my week where I can can kind of slow down, and that might just look like closing the door to my office for um, five or ten minutes in a day. It might mean kind of recruiting my spouse to take over care responsibilities for you know, 30 minutes, maybe sort of negotiating, hey, I will I will, I will, will do the dishes if you'll do bath time because um, the dishes are screaming and talking back to me and that it will actually give me a chance to recharge to do dishes instead of, you know, doing the bath time or what have you. You know, there are other kind of less concrete, more emotional, philosophical ways we can do that, which really boils down to cultivating an attitude of compassion for ourselves. Um, I really do a lot of kind of preaching grace to people who care a whole lot that you know we it's helpful for us to recognize that we are not perfect we can't do everything all the time we can't really be all things to all people in every moment of our life Um, and so are there ways for us to cultivate an attitude of grace towards ourselves to not have to be perfect all the time so some days I may be in a really terrible mood and I don't like that about myself and I might just have to say to myself, this is, I, I'm in a place of fatigue and I'm not firing on all cylinders like, I'm, like I would want to. You know, another thing that I often tell people is, have you, have you learned to ask for help? I kind of tell a joke that I, I grew up in the South and I grew up in an evangelical Christian church. And so I got sort of a double whammy message that, you know, my job is to care for other people and to not need care for myself. Um, that that's, you know, kind of the ethos both of the evangelical church that I grew up in and certainly in the South, that we're always doing for other people. And so I kind of joke that the South is like this wasteland of people wandering around with casseroles and no one to give them to because nobody can accept help, but everybody's always <laughs> giving it. Um, yeah, it's, um, you know, that we, we kind of laugh about, you know, the casserole in the church. It, you know, some days it's we need to learn to say, I need help. Instead of baking someone else a casserole, maybe it's my turn to receive one. And knowing who those people in our life are that we can go to and say, you know, I'm really struggling. I, I need some help. And sometimes it's hard to do, but if we can be specific to people to say, this is how you can help me. Uh, my experience is that people... You know, if you just ask for help, sometimes people people are usually glad to do it, and they may not know what to do. Or if people just offer it, they may actually offer help that's not helpful, uh, that gets in the way. Um, so some of, it takes a lot of work, I think. But if we can be practiced in knowing the kind of help we need 
and asking for it from people. I found in my own life, it's amazing how many people can step up if I can say, hey, can you do this thing for me? People are usually pretty good to help. So those are just some kind of approaches to how to how to prevent compassion fatigue from getting out of hand. Yeah, and those are really great tips, I know, um, and just a bit of transparency. So I actually work uh, fairly closely with Daniel. We work for the, for the, the same um, system in healthcare. And uh, the first time I heard Daniel give this presentation about compassion fatigue, it really opened my eyes about, you know, those things that I have experienced and probably a lot of parents in our situation. And I think one of the things that I really took with me was carving out those moments that are really important. And I know that personally I enjoy a really good cup of coffee. And so the mm-hmm. thing that I started doing for myself was uh, once I put all the kids to bed and everybody's okay and safe, I make a cup of coffee, I sit on the couch, sometimes I watch TV, sometimes I stare into space and don't think about anything, but I enjoy my cup of coffee, and that's my you know, 15-minute break that I just give mm-hmm. myself to enjoy, and then I can wash dishes and clean and do whatever it is that I need to do, but I feel like it, it kind of grounds me, um, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know, those, those tips are hopefully really helpful for the parents out there that are hearing it. Yeah, that's a great example, um, and I can join you in how much I love you know, coffee <laughs> saves my life every morning, um, becomes its own little ritual to kind of help me both wake myself up but also prepare myself to try to get to a good, calm headspace. And, for you know, I mean, usually when I get into conversations with people about these sorts of small gifts that we can give one another or give ourselves, um, you know, most people have something like that that they may not are, are doing as often as they could but can find a way to do that doesn't, seem to take too much time or energy, but can be really healing. So that's a great example. Awesome. Thank you. And so for those of us who are parents of kids with a CHD, you know, the bulk of our focus is on on care for our our children. So why is it so hard for us to kind of turn that focus on ourselves? Well, that's a great question. I, you know, let me tread lightly since since I'm not the parent of a, a child with CHD, I can't um, I want to be careful that I don't speak, you know, on behalf of uh, something that I don't uh, have personal experience with. But as a parent, I do know that I, just the sense of responsibility that I think that all parent, all good parents feel for their children, and also that it, I think it's tied with a sense of helplessness. It's like I feel both utterly responsible for everything that happens to my child, and utterly helpless to do anything about it. And that's not. That that's not a good combination of ways to feel when we're constantly giving of ourselves but don't feel like we have any control. So I, I can really only imagine what that has to be like um, if your child, you know, has, has a congenital heart defect um, or some other, you know, highly uh, specialized need of care. So it's, you know, I, I, I can imagine that it's hard to turn focus on yourself for fear that if you do, you'll you'll miss something important the level of vigilance that probably, you know, that you you have all the time. Uh, I would imagine also it's hard to feel like you can trust other people to help. You know, I I can imagine that there might be this sense of, you know, if other people don't have a kid with CHD and thinking, well, I'm not sure you really understand how to help. I'm not sure you really understand what I'm going through. So I would imagine it can feel isolating and Definitely, I think what's great about, Chris, the work that you do with your blog and the work that's being done on this radio show is to connect folks so that people who have kids with CHD feel less isolated. But, I mean, it's it's just tough. It's tough to, to admit to ourselves that we need to stop 
this, it feels like we're we're going to have in order to take care of ourselves that we're going to stop caring for our child. Um, and of course, that's a false. That's a little false thing to get caught up in. That clearly, it's not an either or. We, we can we can care for ourselves and our child at the same time. Or if we stop for a minute to let someone else step in, that is not at all um, a statement about us failing as parents. It really is, in fact, I think a statement of strength to say, I know when I need some help and I'm going to let other people step in and support me so that I really can continue to be the best parent that I can be. Absolutely. And, you know, like I say in my blog, there's nothing against asking for help. It's okay to not be okay. And thank you, Daniel, for uh, continuing to share this really important info. And now it's time for another uh, commercial break, uh, but don't leave yet. Uh, Coming up, we're going to drag Daniel back out here so he can keep talking about compassion fatigue. And really, we're going to discuss some practical approaches to self-care when we return to Heart to Heart with Anna. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Hey, welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. And this is Chris Perez filling in for Anna. Today's show, Compassion Fatigue, Silent Enemy, Soul Sickness, features Daniel Miles, Assistant Director of Spiritual Education at Carolinas Medical Center. And so we just finished chatting with Daniel about uh, the prevention of compassion fatigue and what we can do to focus on ourselves every now and then. So now we we only have a little bit of time left, but I'd like uh, Daniel to maybe give us a little bit of advice. So Daniel, what is some final advice you can offer to parents who who might be listening and want to continue giving compassionate care to their kids and themselves and to others around them? Yeah, well, Chris, I you know part part of what I like about being able to come on this radio show and talk is I'm I think anybody who's listening right now is doing something already to help you know, to help themselves continue to be really good, strong, compassionate caregivers to their kids and their families and themselves. You know, you you have a community of folks who are reaching out and making these kinds of connections with other people um, who have similar struggles, who have kids with CHD. I mean, I think that's a really wonderful thing. So I, I want to just say already, if anybody is listening to this, you're you're already doing some things to stay connected. You know, some other kind of final word I would say is to just to let yourself do whatever you need to do, feel whatever you need to feel, um, have the thoughts you need to have without judgment in terms of letting yourself receive care. Uh, Again, this gets back to my kind of cultivating an attitude of grace for yourself. And I know for myself that when I get kind of caught in a really uncompassionate, fatigued place, I have to kind of check in with myself and remind myself that, you know, the universe isn't going to stop because of something that that I'm feeling uh, or because I'm having a really hard day, I I can take a moment. Um, And that's hard to do. (laughs) Even as I say it out loud, it's like, well, it doesn't feel like that sometimes. But there is something about being able to trust that if you take 10 minutes to yourself, the world's not going to collapse. And the the last piece I always tell the people uh, is, I think even most importantly, to remind yourself that Compassion fatigue or feeling fatigued is not at all a sign of weakness. It's really a sign of strength. 
if your compassion is fatigued, that's a good sign that you have compassion and that you're using it. Um, and so I think maybe my last piece of advice to parents would just be to say, of course you're going to feel this because you love your kids and because you're working really hard. And, you're, you know, I mean, it's amazing and impressive. I mean, just in, Chris and hearing you talk about the things that you do um, as a parent, it, you know, I, it's impressive and amazing and touching how hard how hard I know you work and the commitment you have you. to being a good dad. And I'm sure all, you know, all, everyone who's listening um, is also that committed and dedicated. And it's really, I mean, it's a really wonderful thing. So in those moments when you do feel compassion fatigue, that's no fun. It sucks. I certainly don't want anybody to be there longer than they need to. But when that happens, remind yourself, it happens because you're compassionate, you're dedicated, you love your kids, and you're working really hard. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, when I've heard you talk about compassion fatigue, uh, some of the things you've mentioned is that things like breathing exercises are a great and free, and keyword free, way uh, to center yourself and avoid compassion fatigue. And that's one thing that I know really works. So if you're listening, I promise you, (laughs) breathing exercises really help. And so I wanted to ask as we close out today's show, uh, would you mind maybe guiding our listeners through a, a simple breathing exercise? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to. Yeah, as you say, breathing is is free. Uh, It costs no money. Uh, You don't have to go to any special place to do it or have to wear any special kind of clothing. It's really something that you can do anywhere at any time. So I'll kind of lead us through um, one breathing pattern. This is the one that I tend to default to when I'm trying to do a, um, a nice breathing exercise. So I uh, invite invite every listener, if, you, if you're in a place where you can, to just um, kind of sit comfortably in your chair with your, you know, maybe have your back straight and your feet on the floor. And what I want you to do is to breathe in deeply through your nose so that it fills your lungs and makes your belly expand. That's kind of that deep breathing. And so if you'll breathe in through your nose... And then hold it for just two seconds, and then slowly release it through your mouth, like you're blowing up a balloon slowly. And usually I invite people to repeat that four or five times, just in slowly through the nose. Hold it, and out through the mouth. And certainly this can be repeated as as many times as you need or as for as much time as you have. Um, I like to put my hands on my belly so I can feel my belly moving my hands out. That's a great way of knowing that I'm breathing deep. And to do this slowly and really savor the breath. Sometimes I invite people if they'd like to, uh, you know, if they have a prayer or a mantra or a positive word or phrase that they like to repeat as they breathe in or breathe out. Um, so sometimes I might, as I as I breathe in, I might just think to myself, in with love, and breathe out. I might just say something like, out with stress, um, or you know whatever kind of fits the moment. But this is a beautiful thing to do. It usually lowers the heart rate. It can relax um, the muscles in your shoulders and in your chest, sometimes even in your neck. It is a really lovely, beautiful, built-in gift we have in our bodies for stress relief. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that, Daniel. And I do want to reiterate again a couple of things that Daniel mentioned is, you know, we hope that after today you realize that 
compassion fatigue is an okay thing to go through. It's a natural thing. It means that you are, in fact, compassionate. And when you experience these things, it, it doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean you're a failure. Uh, but there are things you can do to, you know, turn that around and, and give yourself some grace in, the, you know, the, the difficult life that we sometimes lead. And so thank you again, Daniel, for being a guest on today's show. Um, really great information, and I always enjoy listening to it. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. And that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thank you so much for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern time. Until then, please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and our Cafe Press Boutique. Follow our radio show on Blog Talk Radio and Spreaker. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. Boar's Head invites you to enlighten your senses. Introducing Boar's Head Ichiban Teriyaki-style chicken. Inspired by Japanese master chefs, our signature teriyaki glaze is crafted with garlic, ginger, and a hint of brown sugar. Then paired with our tender, slow-roasted chicken breast for a flavor that's sweet, savory, remarkably bold. Boar's Head Ichiban Teriyaki-style chicken. The bold flavor of Japan. Now at the deli. Compromise elsewhere.